0: Hello, and welcome back to the Snowy Popcorn Podcast.
1: Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? (laughs) It's seasonally appropriate, man. What is wrong with it? (laughs) Just just trying to watch him do an introduction now after you've said that. Ho, ho, ho.
0: (laughs) Hello, welcome back to Snowy Popcorn Podcast.
1: A weekly show regarding all things entertainment, including reviews.
0: So we would like to raise attention to the fact that we did have our hiatus. Um, It was sort of unavoidable, really. We had a lot of work going on, but the sort of worked out with the hiatus that we uploaded the Justice League and Loving Vincent one a couple of days before this one. It was all a bit confusing and a bit of a hectic time, but it got up yeah. in the end and we're back.
1: Yeah, kind of became very unfortunate how quickly we had to be prepared for an exam. Suddenly out of the blue, dates were changed for when that was going to be happening, so we had to get ready for that very quickly. It's not the sort of thing that we hope to have often on this show, but... It's something that may happen again, but we will continue to attempt to bring content as often as we can and to the quality that we have been so far.
0: And let's get right into the news. So first of all, we're going to talk about the Golden Globes nominations that have been announced.
1: I'm already a little bit annoyed by some of these. Some of these you can just tell they've been made just because one of the people on the voting board has got a granddaughter that says... Oh, Ansel Elgort's really pretty. I want to sit next to him during the Golden Globes. Or, oh, oh yeah, I really want to sit with Hugh Jackman. He'd be fun to have there. He'd be a cool at a party. That they're just kind of, they're really overlooking people who matter, who gave great performances, who made great movies, just so they can get the big celebrities there. Like, if you ever wondered if this was just a celeb fest, this is like proof with the nominations this year.
0: Yeah, it's like um, Stephen Moffat was in an interview about his whole tenure as being head writer for doctor who and they said about the influence of his kids on him and he said um with casting that his kids kept talking about female actresses that they'd like to see in the show and he was like well they're clearly doing that just because they'd like to meet them and i feel like this is exactly sort of what's happening here in a few cases rather than actually wanting to award and not that these are unworthy just There's been a lot of great stuff this year and not all all of it's getting recognised for it.
1: Yeah. So we'll move into the nominations now. Some of these we're going to move over a little bit briskly because some of them there isn't as much to talk about and some of them we actually agree with. We'll move into the Best Picture category. We've got nominated Call Me By Your Name, Dunkirk, The Post, The Shape of Water and Free Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I'd actually disagree with none of those Mm -hmm. besides like maybe The Shape of Water, I don't know, but it's just I've heard some bad things about it.
0: It's nice to see Guillermo del Toro actually getting some award buzz for his work because he's done some brilliant work and it's nice that he's finally getting recognised for that and I haven't personally seen the film, but I've heard brilliant things about it and while I have heard negative things about it as well, I think it'll balance out.
1: I think it's a genuine shock though that... um... Lady Bird isn't on the list, because that's the big America darling at the moment. Everyone's talking about that. I mean, I can't wait to see it myself, but that, to me, was a real big shock that that's not on there, personally.
0: I think the most unsurprising on this list is Dunkirk, because as yeah, soon as people saw yeah. it and saw the trailers, they were like, yeah, this is going to be nominated for Best Picture. For the Oscars." So, or, oh, yeah, film, rightfully yeah. so. I think... I'm not sure which one's going to win out of these, but I think Dunkirk's definitely... My money is contender. on Call Me
1: By Your Name, personally. I think that's I getting so. such a so. buzz at the moment. It's a really good film, everyone in it, and, like, Army Hammer, he's just that darling face, isn't it? Everyone's just going to want to, like, give whatever they can to that. So that's what my money's on. Uh, for best picture in terms of comedy or musical, this is where we're starting to have problems. We've got The Disaster Artist. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Get Out. Hmm. The Greatest Showman. Hmm. Itonia, Tonya and yeah. there is Ladybird. let's save the great showman for last let's discuss the other ones Get Out clearly needs to be there like Get
0: Out needs to be nominated for Best Picture because it was absolutely amazing yeah but is it for comedy or musical because while it was very funny I would say that it
1: yeah it doesn't set out horror to be it doesn't set
0: out or to be I wouldn't I feel like it's misrepresented being put in comedy
1: yeah, definitely. Like, it doesn't set out to be funny at all. Like, its primary thing is to make comments about things like race and to present this, like, horror tone. It's kind of just an added effect. It's kind of like how um when last year, or even the year before they did The Martian, comedy was a part yeah. of it, Yeah, not the main part of it. So it's kind of confusing on that front.
0: Like, it's like the characters brought in the comedy rather than it being... An all-out comedy to begin with—that mm. that sort of sense about it. Yeah.
1: Um, the Disaster Artist, I hope wins. Yeah, personally. That's, that's that is well probably the best be comedy the of the it. year. Yeah, like that's going to be a sensational film. I'd like to see some Oscar buzz for that. I hope it gets it. I, Tonya, I've heard it's a great performance. I haven't heard it's mm. a great movie.
0: I've only all the stuff that I've heard about I, Tonya is how great Margot Robbie is. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if she's nominated for Best Actress, but I'm not sure about the film in itself.
1: Yeah, I've heard it's a lot of narration, and I've heard some of the supporting cast fall a bit flat in comparison to her, but who knows? Lady Bird, clearly it's on there. Yeah. Like, it's got to be in there somewhere. I don't know if it should be for comedy, I think it should be for drama, because I've heard that it is a serious piece in many ways, mm. but I don't know. The one I've got the main problem with is The Greatest Showman. Because it's not a great movie. And it just reeks of I wanted to sit next to Hugh Jackman. Like, there were a lot better comedies this year. The Big Sick was one of the best movies of this year. Yeah. And in my opinion, until I see the disaster artist, it's the best comedy of the year, The Big Sick. Like, it exceeds Get Out and things like that. It's absolutely hilarious. Kamali Nanjali should have got, like, some kind of recognition for it, especially on this, and yet he's not here. So I think that's a genuine snub for, like, comedy, whereas, like, or music And The Greatest Showman, like, yeah, it is a musical, and you need it in the musical category, but no review for it at the moment is good.
0: I feel like if they wanted to sit next to Hugh Jackman, then why not nominate Logan for Best Picture? Mm, Or at least Best Performance, because that was absolutely phenomenal. And yeah. that was universally praised with minimal criticisms, whereas The Greatest Showman I'm seeing a lot of negativity around it, and yeah. it sort of surprised me.
1: Like, I think the only real bonus you're going to get out of this is that it will maybe make some more people go and see The Greatest Showman because they'll see yeah. him at the, the Golden Globes and think he's he's nice. Yeah. Like what's Wolverine doing these days? Yeah, that's that's my dig at the Golden Globes this year because I'm not happy about that.
0: Should we go into best performances?
1: Yeah, um, the best performances are from Timothy Chalamet, that's in Call Me By Your Name Daniel Day-Lewis in Phantom Fred, that's a given uh, Tom Hanks in The Post, Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour and Denzel Washington in Roman J. Israel Esquire
0: I feel like, especially Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour that was very award-baity
1: Yes, instantly, you can see that For me, it's a given that Daniel Day-Lewis wins it. Oh, definitely. Like, he'll win Best Actor this year. There's there's no doubt about it.
0: This role seems so different to his others. Mm. And he's a brilliant performer, and especially him saying this is going to be his last performance. I'm not sure if it actually is, but him saying that this will be his last performance is, I think, going to create something around it so people are going to say we want him to go out on a bang.
1: Yeah. I mean... He's Daniel Day-Lewis. He could read the phone book and receive an award for it. Like, he's just that actor that everyone just thinks, wow, when they see him. I think the only person I see with any potential to unseat him... Like, Timothy Chalamet, he's going to get nothing, in my opinion. If they were going to give it to someone, it should have been Army Hammer, because he's the big name. No one will vote for Chalamet. For me, it'll be Washington, because... He will be sensational in Roman J. Israel. I think he'll be the real star of that. Or maybe Tom Hanks, just because it's Tom Hanks and everyone bloody loves Tom Hanks.
0: Although I feel like Denzel Washington, if he was going to get an award for a performance, then it should have been Fences.
1: Oh yeah, Good Grief, Blimein' That was like one of the best films of last year. It was a crime that he didn't win that Best Actor, but...
0: But Tom Hanks always puts in a good performance but I'm yeah. not sure if there's going to be enough about The Post to make him stand out the same.
1: Mm. I mean, it's not even... I don't think The Post or Phantom Fred are out yet, are they?
0: No, not in the UK, no, no.
1: not at all. So I can't make a comment on either of them. But for me, I think The Post will be the better movie. Daniel Day-Lewis will be the better performance, probably.
0: Yeah. And for Best Performances by an Actress, we have Jessica Chastain for Molly's Game, Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water, Frances McDormand, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Meryl Streep, The Post, Michelle Williams for All the Money in the World. Uh, yeah. I mean, Sally Hawkins for Shape of Water, I've heard mm. nothing bad about. I've yeah. heard that mm. the performances in that. Especially with the creature, yeah. uh, absolutely amazing. So it,
1: she doesn't speak in the movie, does she? And she's like, I think she has minimal speech. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I think that it is nice for her to be getting some award buzz around that. Yeah. But
1: like, there's t- for me. There's two very clear categories in this. There's like what I want to win, which is Frances McDormand, because apparently her in Free Bill, but all outside Eving, Missouri, is sensational. Mm. She's brilliant. At, but you just know immediately it's going to be the very overrated Meryl Streep. Like, like. I feel like just her powerhouse. I feel like
0: The Post, it has so many big names attached to it, and especially with the subject matter of it, that it can't help itself, but even if it's not intentionally, it can't help but feel oscar and I feel like it is going to win a lot of awards because it has Spielberg, it has yeah. Hanks, it has yeah. Streep, and of course the subject matter, so I feel like... Mm deserved or not I haven't seen it yet no but I think that's it gonna is be gonna get a lot of attention
1: I think if that's gonna be anywhere that's gonna be at the Oscars then it's yeah. because it is those names like the Oscars love to give something to Spielberg because it it's Spielberg's the greatest filmmaker of our time hmm. so they'll just naturally give him anything I think with this one hopefully in this category they may just there's nothing not there's anything wrong with Meryl Streep I would just like to see someone like Francis McDormand win something like that because yeah it wouldn't be surprising if Streep took home the best o- like the Oscar for Best Performance. Maybe let someone else have the Golden Globe. Yeah. Uh, we'll now move on to Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. We have uh, Steve Carell in Battle of the Sexes, Ansel Elgort in Baby Driver, James Franco, the Disaster Artist, Hugh Jackman in The Great Showman and Daniel Kaluuya. Apologies, I'm butchering names today in Get Out.
0: I feel like Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out is a definite he, he deserves awards for that, mm. for that performance. That was absolutely outstanding. Yeah. But again, I'm not sure about musical or comedy. Me, it's, like Franco. it's Franco. Franco
1: yeah. gives the best, like... Like, he transforms himself for that role, like, physically and, like, with his voice and his everything about him, like, just becomes Tommy Wiseau. I don't think, like, um Steve Carell and Sir Elgort can really hold a candle to him. I think they're just kind of there because, again, it's someone cool to have at the party.
0: I feel like Carell, he gave a brilliant performance. Yeah, Battle of the
1: Sexes was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. But I
0: feel like Franco's a very underrated performer because, while he hasn't been great in everything he's been in. Like the original Spider-Man trilogy had some dodgy moments. Yeah. But I saw him in a film called True Story Mm. with Jonah Hill Mm. and he was brilliant in that. I mean, the film had problems and it had faults. But you go to that film for the performances and for the cinematography, and he was flawless. Yeah. In it. He was a really interesting character.
1: I think as well the fact with Franco is the fact that he goes to another level. Mm. He does something that the others don't. They all play like a character in the movie. Huge like um, J- James Franco, he plays that person. He yeah. plays everything that's around Tommy Hrusa, <sighs> and he's arguably got a harder job as well because. There's three ways you can play Tommy Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau as he actually was, Tommy Wiseau as you think he is, and Tommy Wiseau as everyone on the internet and what and the room thinks he is. Like, yeah. And to like, have to be able to coordinate between those three, I think he's got the most difficult challenge and I think for that reason he should be given it.
0: And also to do it in a respectful way, to not offend yeah. the original mm. person. It's like Jessica Chastain in... Molly's game, having to do it in a respectful way yeah. while also showing the flaws in that character.
1: Yeah. Same with Margot Robbie and Itonya.
0: Yeah. Best performance by an actress in motion picture, for musical or comedy. We have Judy Dench in Victoria and Abdul, Helen Mirren, The Leisure Seeker, Margot Robbie, Itonya, Saraz Ronan,
1: Sari, I don't even know.
0: Uh, Lady Bird, Emma Stone, Battle of the Sexes.
1: This I'm kind of a lot more torn off on because I won't lie. I haven't seen The Leisure Seeker. I have no idea what it is. And Ladybird, we haven't yet seen. Mm. I mean, Emma Stone gives a great performance in the movie. Like, she has some really great lines, but there's nothing brilliant about it. It's not La La Land. Let's give it a yeah. like that. And Judy Dench, it's commendable. Like, she's she's good in it, but it's not the best movie ever. I spe- I think she's just kind of there because it's... It's Judi Dench. Not to be rude, but...
0: I think with a lot of these nominations, it's like these are brilliant performers and brilliant... Well, these are brilliant performers, but they're being nominated for the wrong performances that they've put out. Like, not even necessarily for this year. It's just, for example, Hugh Jackman should have been nominated for Logan rather than The Greatest Showman. And that's not to say that his performance in The Greatest Showman isn't good. Just... I feel like the one in Logan is far superior because he has more range and he can emote more. Where and it's yeah. like Emma Stone yeah. here for battle of the sexes rather than La La Land. Even though yeah. it's different years, but apart from that.
1: Me, I'm gonna say Margot Roy, because I think
0: mm. yeah, I there's gonna
1: be clear difficulties with that role because we all know Tonya Harding, it's that big name, it's that big personality, but she's got the physical fear as well. Like she's had to learn to skate for this. Like she was on I believe it was a it was the Chris Pratt jimmy kimmel J- jimmy kimmel um jimmy kimmel what am i saying i've been saying this today i'm butchering names i'm really sorry she was with um chris pat on the jimmy kimmel like covered episode and she was there discussing it, and like she said to go through like four months of like training to like learn to skate and be able to do things like that like daily for four months so i think that's like a real physical feat worth awarding
0: it, something Tom Cruise said on a talk show I think it was Graham Norton that I found mm. quite interesting he said one of the things he likes about being an actor is all these little small quirky things that you pick up throughout the years yeah. that you'd never have mm. thought you'd have needed like him being able to hold his breath yeah. and various mm. stuff like that I just, just thought it was quite interesting
1: yeah there is like a certain a little bonus to it whereas if the movie's dreadful you've at least got a skill for life Yeah, yeah, yeah. like something to pull out of it it's like when you see um Like recently with Last Jedi, like how they put them all through intense physical training, like with the lightsabers and the staffs and everything. Yeah. They will never show most of it in the film, but hey, they've got that skill now. Yeah. Who doesn't want to be really cool with a lightsaber?
0: And Adam Driver is buff.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We'll now move on to um, best performance by an actor in a supporting role in a motion picture. And I know who's going to win this instantly. We've got Willem Dafoe in the Florida Project, Army Hammer, call me by your name. Richard Jenkins in The Shape of Water, Christopher Plummer in All the Money in the World, Sam Rockwell in Free Billboards outside Epping, Missouri.
0: I'm surprised they got Christopher Plummer on that already. Yeah.
1: It's not even finished. Mm. Like, only very, very select critics have seen this.
0: I think it's a very bold statement, and I think that's one of the reasons why they chose him. Mm. Because I'm sure he gives a brilliant performance. I haven't seen it yet. And from the trailer they put out, it does look like he's doing good work. Yeah. But I feel like they're very much... I feel like they very much put that in because as, it is the controversy yeah, yeah and say look we're supporting this look look at us we're, we're trying to work against what happened and if his performance is worthy then I don't see why not
1: yeah well I think Army Hammer will win it that's a given yeah. what I think should win is Willem Dafoe the Florida yeah. Project what he does in that is sensational he is he gives quite possibly one of the best performances I've ever seen from him like he's brilliant in it from start to finish Army Hammer, I can't make a comment because I haven't seen Call Me By Your Name yet, unfortunately. It's not yet been given British release. Please be soon. But I think it's like what, what we've been saying. He is that face. He is what people want to see. He, Call Me By Your Name has exploded out there. Yeah. I think he's the selling point of that movie. It's Army Hammer. That's what's going to draw people in. And I think that's why he'll probably win it.
0: I'd also quite like to see Richard Jenkins get the award for Shape of Water because mm. then it would actually sort of... <laughs> not validate but all these amazing actors like Andy Serk has been putting in amazing mocap performances and there are people under all these heavy prosthetics and to see them actually get some attention for that like I feel that like that is a category that should be included like motion capture or prosthetic performances yeah. because it's a lot harder to actually convey what you want to convey with emotions yeah. and everything like that so I feel like it is it's great that it's getting attention for this
1: yeah its just as soon as you go down that route, it's where do you really stop it? It's, does yeah. the actor receive the award? Does the team that makes the actor yeah. receive it? Is it the team that digitally make everything? It's just mm. I wish they just give them multiple awards, but mm. then you've got that controversy of working that out and it's unfortunate because it means strong performances are being overlooked
0: and um, Sam Rockwell for three billboards outside Ebbing Missouri, I feel like he deserved awards for his performance in Moon.
1: Oh, Good Grief, yeah. Because
0: that was mm. outstanding. Best I've ever seen him in, besides
1: mm. maybe The Green Mile.
0: And Iron Man 2.
1: Get out. <laughs> just just get out.
0: No, that's not nominated for this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on now to Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role in a Motion Picture. There is...
0: Oh, I very much like the first one.
1: Yeah, Mary J. Blige in Mudbound. Hong Xiao in Downsizing. Alison... Janie in I, Tonya, Laurie Metcalf in Lady Bird, and Octavia Spencer in The Shape of Water.
0: I feel like any performer in Mudbound deserves an award. Oh, that was agree, yeah. absolutely outstanding, and I'm glad that they're getting some attention for that, because yeah. it was brilliant. And I'm also glad that they've nominated a Netflix film mm. for awards. That, yeah. uh... After I
1: saw Mudbound, I was thinking, like, the whole controversy about netflix and the oscars if you ever need any reason to put them in the oscars show them this movie because everything about it is sensational script direction performances from pretty much everyone you could put them into any category and they would do well like everything about it is tight it's well made and it's well done
0: you would not have guessed that this was a lower budget film, especially mm. when it has like the plane sequences and he's looking out the window. It looks like it's a big blockbuster in the cinema. Yeah, it really like, does. The mm. the special effects in it, you would never have guessed the budget.
1: No, I don't see it winning though. Like for me, it's gonna be Octavia Spencer because everyone loves her. Yeah. She is adored the world over, and rightfully so. She's brilliant in things like Hidden Figures. Like she was my favorite part of Hidden Figures, personally. And then also Laurie Metcalf, because she's going to get a lot of press for Lady Bird, because everyone adores that. Yeah. Those are my bets on what will win, personally.
0: For Best Animated Film, we have The Boss Baby, The Breadwinner, Coco, Ferdinand, and Loving Vincent.
1: I don't even think we need to discuss that. We know instantly what we want to win. (laughs) Like...
0: I feel like The Boss Baby and... Ferdinand were only nominated because they had to fill the space yep. Like I feel like the breadwinner Coco and Loving Vincent are the only
1: yeah Coco's gonna win it hands down I feel it like up. it
0: should be Loving Vincent though I feel it, like... won't, be. it yeah, won't be I, I, I know it won't it should be Loving Vincent 100% I feel like it should be
1: that's a greater feat than what Coco is like Coco is brilliant don't get me wrong it will be a beautiful film but we've never seen an animated film like Loving Vincent
0: yeah and I feel like even if even if it was just for the visuals well it is because it's the best animated film but just plot aside just the visuals alone i think loving vincent should get it hands down because we have seen this style before in pixar like in animation yeah and it's this unique take that i feel means loving vincent really really deserves some attention
1: yeah. and the argument is to be made that coco like not to put it down it is a kids film at the end of the day it's a fictional story Mm. loving vincent to an extent happened like it was a real thing real people went through that like vincent Mangoff was a real person his story deserves to be told so i think that's something that means it should win personally right so move on to the final category and that is Best Director for a motion picture. We have Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water, Martin McDonough for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Ridley Scott for All the Money in the World, and Steven Spielberg for The Post.
0: I think Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk should get this one.
1: 100% agree. Every single thing he did about that film was, while not brilliant on a character level, technically it was sensational. You felt every shot, you felt every explosion. Sound in that movie is amazing. The camera work... Honestly, some of his best that I've seen in a long time. And
0: the practical effects of having most of this done in frame rather yeah. than in post with CG. Mm. Just outstanding work. Mm.
1: He made an achievement there. Like, when I went to see this, there were people in the cinema, they were wearing medals, mm. they were old. I felt proud to be amongst them. And when they clapped, I clapped with them because it was that amazing a movie. Like and What he made was perfect. And
0: it is a cinematic experience. It is this amazing feat of cinema mm. that they could create something like this because it isn't for character mm. it isn't for depth it's just showing an event as it happened with interesting themes of time jumps to then build the climax in all one go and I I feel like <clears throat> even if it's just for what's achieved in frame Dunkirk
1: yeah it needs should, to be an instant win, win. Yeah. I don't see it. I wouldn't be surprised if it was unseated by Spielberg. Yeah, like because it is just Spielberg. Spielberg. Like the only person I can see with no chance is Del Toro. Like no offense, but as good as Shape of Water, I think will be. I think in years to come we will look back at it and just think that's one of his many films. I think we see it as one of his many many great films,
0: rather than like like, it's it's not Pan's Labyrinth, like it's not
1: the big that needs it so. I feel like
0: it's going to as unfortunate as it is it's going to fall back with Pacific Rim it'll be like oh that that's still a really good film he's still brilliant mm, director yeah. but it doesn't stand out as
1: one one yeah Yeah. so the, that, those are our thoughts on the Golden Globes we'll bring you probably a shorter one when the actual winners are revealed next year because we'll be a lot quicker we'll just be discussing who won yeah but we feel confident with some people who have been picked, and we feel that definitely some people have been missed out. The Big Sick was the biggest snub this year, 100%.
0: Also with Logan. I, I feel with mm, Logan, because 100%. that's not got any attention in the categories we spoke about for the Golden Globes. And I'd say it's one of the best films this year, as well with with Mother and Blade Runner.
1: Mm. Like I agree with you. So now... We'll move on to quite possibly the biggest story in entertainment news this year th- that we've done on this show at all. It is the purchase of twenty 20th Century Fox by Disney for $52 billion. Wow. This is... Look, there's just so much to talk about with this. Like It's the end of the studio system as we know it, potentially. This is the biggest shake-up to massive properties that we're gonna see probably on our lifetime or for at least a very long while like I think you, yeah the,
0: I think the only remaining like massive studios are Universal Warner Bros and now Disney and Disney yeah. own
1: everything at this point
0: 60 70 percent of it yeah like if you did it on a pie chart then mm.
1: it mm. like this isn't a done deal. It's, there's going to be an 18-month probation period, so we've got a long while before things actually start going ahead, but it's just what worries us are the implications of this, because as it stands, it's brilliant when you look at it fit as though we're getting the X-Men back in the MCU. Mm-hmm. We're getting characters like that. Disney's getting the big properties like Avatar and Alien. They can do what they want with that, and maybe bring them back and make them better a bit. But at the same time, it means we're losing things. We're losing some of the littler things that matter to a lot of people like Fox, yeah. Fox
0: Searchlight did absolutely brilliant films
1: yeah they make some of the best Oscars contenders and yet if Disney doesn't want it they don't have to have it it's the same with their TV like FX that's already been struggling and they make in my opinion two of the best TV shows going at the moment which is um, Fargo and American Horror Story if we lose those yeah. two amazing anthology shows that are in their prime and prime to go on with more
0: I'm That's hoping just greatness. I'm hoping that if Disney do go the route of cancelling some well beloved shows because it doesn't fit with their ideologies because either it's too adult or any other reasons, I feel that instead of just cancelling it they will put it up for sale and yeah, Netflix is gonna do very well yeah, yeah. and give other companies the opportunity to utilise it and yeah. continue with some of the shows
1: like i think personally when it comes to tv they're going to use what they can make money from the simpsons is a clear one of those family yeah. guy will be something like i know they'll probably have some execs that will maintain control over the tv front but you do just hope some of the little things do just stick around like i know you're a massive fan of a massive massive fan of always sunny in philadelphia there's a chance that will go
0: it would be such a shame if it does yeah. because and it is a great show I feel like Fox uh, FX is one of the channels that truly experiments. Yeah. And they don't just do what everyone else is doing. And while they do have shows like that, every channel does like Netflix doesn't have complete brilliant shows all the time. But I feel that what it's been able to do in its lifetime is very commendable. And if we lost that and that catalog, then it would be a shame
1: yeah i mean not just looking on that front as well because it is devastating that we're going to lose these things but if we look at the implications of what this means disney is now in a way untouchable if you think about it fox has made a bit of a marketing like it's a very wise decision to like if you can't beat them join them Mm. because now all there really is is paramount universal and warner brothers paramount is already struggling Like, they're really not doing great at the moment with their box office, their films. Warner Bros., they're going to keep going with Justice League and they're going to keep making things. They've got Harry Potter. They've got all that sort of stuff. They've got Ready Player One. They'll make money. They'll keep going. Universal will keep going with whatever it does. They've got enough. But it's just. Fox was one of the big founders of this system. It was there for, like, years. And, like, you don't want to get too sentimental about it. But to see it just kind of, like, be wiped out in a sense, like this, like, big factions of it and just. Big plans and efforts it was going to bring out in the future just kind of potentially cut short. It's like a really sad thing. Like not to mention the amount of people that are going to lose jobs. Like not like directors and things, but just like the simple little ground workers, like people who work in like HR departments or just like executives. They're not going to be needed at Disney because Disney's already got that stuff. So they're just they're just going to go. I, f-
0: I feel like this is Disney in a strange way setting us up. For Infinity War, where Thanos is going to come out, <laughs> <laughs> he's the big main one, yeah. and he's just going to like smash kill infinite, someone yeah. straight away, and then it's going to feel like one of the greats has been lost, and yeah. I feel like that's what they're doing metaphorically with 20th Century Fox, and I sort of hope that I heard there was rumour of them splitting off into like a subsidiary of having Foxes just the money then just goes Mm. to Disney and they sort of continue doing what they're doing. And I'm hoping they do do that so there Mm. is more variety in the blockbuster because while Disney does have great films, it also has very standard films.
1: Yeah. Like, my big problem with it is when you look at the films that Disney makes, the MCU, fine films, really, really great films, a number of them. But you can always see a production marking on them they've got the distinct style they've got a very like yeah this has got to be in it this is going to be setting up this you've got to have this at the end this needs to be in there somewhere i want this to happen at certain points or this director's is going to come in and do it in a certain way there's very little risk taking that isn't planned for there's very little like daringness to like go and be different like Whereas Fox was willing to do that if we look at Logan, if we look at Deadpool, if we look what they were going to do with James Franco's Multiple Man, you just don't see something like this happening at Disney because they are, they're going the safe way, they want what they know is going to make them the money, whereas Fox was like, yeah, we're willing to try and make a character piece and see if it is worth doing because we care in a way more about making a great movie.
0: Like, I love Marvel films don't get me wrong mm. I really enjoy them but I think I enjoy them so much because they aren't all that's out there like, yeah. sometimes I am in the mood to go see something that will completely shock me so I go watch Mother or I I want something that will completely astound me in all my senses and make me think of all these questions so I go and watch Blade Runner Yeah. It. I think variety is what's needed and if everything's just then uniformed in a certain way then we're gonna lose something special.
1: We can't ever like assume that we're gonna receive something like Logan or Deadpool again, because we'll receive variations of what they were. Like, because it's Disney, it's that name. They've they've I know they've run like R racing companies in the past, like they've been subsidiaries, but these are big, big names. Everyone knows Deadpool now. Everyone's always known Wolverine and now that we've received a level if there's any kind of dip people are instantly going to complain and jump on that why isn't it like this still and it's just going to potentially ruin something that was great the first time round
0: I feel like Deadpool they're not going to dare touch the rating like the age rating because of how successful it was with that age rating and I feel like there would be too much backlash, especially how far into development Deadpool 2 mm. it already is, if they then tried to cut that back. But then for Deadpool 3 and other films that he'll be in, I'm not sure what sort of. That's route why do. we just
1: won't get another one, because
0: mm.
1: I can't remember the last time I saw a Disney film that was a 15, or that was something that was put out by Disney or Marvel. I cannot remember the last time something I saw was a 15.
0: That's why Marvel goes to Netflix for darker yeah, stuff.
1: Exactly, but. When you've got Deadpool, they're just not going to put him out like that. I think what we'll see is maybe one more movie, hopefully at a push, two Deadpool movies. They'll put him on Netflix or something, or they'll make a new TV show on their own (laughs) streaming service. And then we'll get a recast Logan in a few years, and they'll put him in with the Avengers somehow.
0: How do you think they are going to introduce the X-Men into this, and how... Like into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how would you want them to be introduced would you want them to be recast or keep the cast
1: I'm at the point now where I'm hit or miss with the cast, they've had equal amounts of blunders and successes like there's certain ones of them that I love, I love seeing Michael Fassbender I love what they're doing with Evan Peters at the moment, I think Sophie Turner's got real potential especially for Apocalypse, I'm looking forward to that I think some of them, though, have had their day and they clearly don't want to be there anymore. Jennifer Lawrence really doesn't want to be there. No. Not at all. But at the same time, again, we can't do a reboot for the third time. Spider-Man, look at the clash that's getting. For me, if they're going to bring them into this MCU, I don't want it done in this universe. I want them, when they finish their whole big thing and they're starting up their new universe with like Captain Marvel and bits of Spider-Man here and there, That's where you bring them in, because I think we're at a point with the story now where if you try and cram in the X-Men into something like After Infinity War, you're just simply giving too much. Like The moment has now passed. The only really cool thing that would have been good would have been Hugh Jackman alongside the likes of Chris Hemsworth and Robert Downey Jr. But we're never going to receive that now. So there isn't a buzz to see the likes of James McAvoy or Michael Fassbender around them. It would just be something where... I think in the new universe, they'll weave them into certain stories, whether they're recast or not. I couldn't really tell.
0: I feel like if this was before Logan, then I'd definitely be keen to keep the cast because yes. it would have mm. Hugh, Jackman. Yeah. Hugh Jackman. But we've had there. that beautiful swan song and send off yeah. that I feel like, same as you, it's a bit hit or miss with the cast now. Yeah. Because some mm. of them do. Some he them was the glue that them. held it together. Yeah. Mm. And now I think they'll keep Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool.
1: But oh, yeah, yeah, he'll be playing that as long as Wolverine was playing.
0: But I think that they're going to introduce them in a multiverse type way.
1: Yeah, that would be.
0: But I'm not sure. Well,
1: we'll just to have to see where it be. goes with um, Dark Phoenix. Because yeah. we don't know how that's going to be ended. Like, is that going to be the final, like, the ending of the McAvoy and Fastbender era? and will we then see something new after that or if this does really well are we then going to see them bought into the mcu you just you don't know
0: i feel like a way that would be interesting to introduce it and a way that would spell it out to even the most casual of fans would be to have deadpool come on even if it's a, in a credit scene of deadpool 2 Uh, Where he's there walking through Disney Studios and he's like, these are our new overlords, these are our new bosses. Yeah, something like that. We are now joining like this. And then because he does break the fourth wall, if he then completely spells it out to the audience, this is how it's happening. And we're sort of like, oh, okay, we're on board with this now. So they don't do it in like a convoluted way.
1: Yeah. I think if they're going to do it, though, Kevin Feige's the man for the job. Yeah. I think... There's yeah. no doubt that he'll make it work. Like, he'll make the right decision for the franchise. He'll know what to do with it. Like, how to pl- place them in appropriately. If it were me, I'd just wait until this is all done. And I'd just literally put on the slate at Comic-Con, Wolverine versus Hulk 2022. Just let everyone go wild. Mm. And then think about, after you've done that, right, what are we going to do with these X-Men characters? They're there now. What are we going to do?
0: Hmm. I feel like after Infinity War, it's very much going to be make or break for the superhero genre.
1: 100%. Because um. people are going to be like,
0: that was nice, that was brilliant, while well, it lasted, needed, yeah. and huh, now we've got that out of our system. Mm. So what Disney do next, it very much hinders on Ant-Man and the Wasp, on yeah. how successful it is.
1: Because DC is not going to be able to make much of an effort now. Mm. Like, Justice League... <sighs> wasn't the critical or financial success that they hoped it would be. Wonder Woman was in sorts. But when you've got people like the X-Men coming in, when you have got potentially the Fantastic Four, when you've got Deadpool, that's bringing serious money with it. And unless if DC really pulls something out of the hat with like Flashpoint when they reboot this thing, and they really bring in some big names that are going to actually think, damn, I actually need to see this now, Mm. then it's not going to be happening because... Marvel's got everything at the moment. While they won't, after Infinity War, have it with the actors, they've got it with the superheroes. Like, lots more people know Wolverine and Iron Man and all that than they do the likes of, like, The Flash or Aquaman.
0: Now, this deal has taken, well, when this comes into fruition, I feel like now would be as much as I love Logan to do a proper, comic accurate recreation of Old Man Logan. With Red Skull in it, yeah, it, I, I don't think we'll ever see it. And no, it would be want a joyous to thing. Though, wouldn't It, it was just, just, just been like, interesting.
1: I'd almost like it if, in a way, they kind of they did what we did, but they do it well. They go on hiatus, like they <laughs> they kind of just say, "Look, give us some time." After Infinity War, we're going to work this out. They give us like a Captain Marvels and their Ant Man and the Wasp to like satisfy the audience, but like they say give us some time, we need to work this out, we need to work out where they're coming in, what we're going to do with them. And then maybe if they were ever going to do something like that, they'd give that as a little treat to say we're back. But I think that would be the smartest decision because you can't rush this. This is Mm. the biggest franchise in movies at the moment and people will kill to see it done right. Yeah. Um, So you need to be making sure that it's done properly. And I think to take some time to think about it and to really work on it, would be what's best for the franchise
0: as you said Kevin Feige is the man for the job
1: 100% speaking
0: of superhero films this is a nice segue Uh, Ben Affleck is officially stepping down as Batman I I think it's officially Um, they've said he's going to be in the start of Flashpoint and then they're looking to recast him for the Matt Reeves films
1: (sighs) we just we go straight from Marvel to DC it's it becomes a difficult task at points just discussing this because it's just when you think everything's alright just when you think everything's somewhat sorted it's you're pushing the boulder up the hill you've made it to the top of the hill you sit there you relax it and then someone just goes pushes the boulder back down the hill and you've got to go all the way back and go through this process again who are they going to cast is he going to be right for the role Are the audience going to like him? Is he going to work with Matt Reeves? We've just been through this with Ben Affleck, and that was hell. Don't want to go through it again.
0: It feels like Tyrion Lannister's in charge of this, and it's like, just when you feel safe, you won't be. That's when I'll strike, whatever.
1: There will come a day when you think you're safe.
0: That's the quote.
1: And then I will turn your joy to ashes in your mouth, and you will know the debt is paid. Yeah, that one. (laughs) (laughs) We know who the Real Game of Thrones fan is here. (laughs) I don't even know what they're going to do with this because I was hoping he was going to be there for the the Matt Reeves version. I can see why he maybe wouldn't want to be. They're not treating this franchise brilliantly at the minute. So maybe it's a great way to get it out while they can.
0: I feel like Flashpoint's definitely the way to get out with it. And it is sort of wasted potential because they did set up this older Batman in Mm. the already existing cinematic universe. And they had stories, like, so many stories that could be told about it with how he got to that point and where he lost his Robins and things like that. Mm. And it would have been interesting to see that and how he got to that point with prequels like they had with Wonder Woman.
1: Yeah. They're playing a dangerous game with Flashpoint, I feel... There will be those of us that understand it, but there will be those movie viewers who are just like, right, well, why isn't he now that guy? Why is now hmm. that not him? But Wonder Woman's stayed like, the same. Why, why did we watch that... these films? Yeah, that it's gonna, it's gonna make or break the franchise. It will be the point where they say, right, we're done now with the cinematic universe. We're just gonna make individual stories,
0: which I would prefer.
1: Likewise, but it's gonna be a real like Herculean task. Like,
0: I think they're relying hmm. too much on Flashpoint. Because they've got all their mistakes they've made and then they've got like a list of how to fix it all. And I feel like they've got so much weight on Flashpoint's Mm -hmm. shoulders that it's going to be very difficult to pull it off.
1: It really says something as well when they're having to use Flashpoint this early. Yeah. They're not even, what is it now, five movies in?
0: They've not even waited until... It's like Downey Jr. wanting to leave because he's done it for so long. It's actors wanting to leave because they don't enjoy it.
1: Yeah. And the fact that at this point it will be six movies, you've barely established universe, you've given one team-up movie, two if you count BVS, which I don't, and just trying to fit everything in, you. it just shows such lack of faith in everything they've tried to make. It's like, what will the past five years for? Yeah. Commit to it, or don't. Like, they should have realised a long time ago that this wasn't working
0: before you bring Flashpoint and even the films that they have produced, they haven't been our favourites but there are still fans of those films
1: Man of Steel, I am its biggest fan (laughs) I love it
0: but it's sort of there are still fans of these products and of these films so Mm. why don't you continue that story but give them a lower budget because I think Henry Cavill summed up DC films in one he said that these are niche films Yeah. he said that they aren't for everyone because they are less blockbusters they're only blockbusters in the sense of the action it's just they have more themes and heavy stories and that's what Snyder does
1: just just give Henry Cavill a pat on the back I don't care what you do with Flashpoint just, just keep him Yeah. he's perfect
0: it's apart just... from his top lip
1: that won't happen again he's perfect in these movies and if we get A Man of Steel 2 because of this I'm a happy boy but it's not looking good for the superhero universe at the moment no is this as Steven Spielberg says the bursting of the bubble that will inevitably come
0: it's the end of the world as we know it we've had a lot of trailers released recently so we're gonna run through a number of them and see how they fare
1: we'll of course be going into more depth with some than others the first one isn't necessarily film but it's promising cinematic scales of film that will potentially even exceed what we're seeing on the cinema screens at the moment, (laughs) it is death stranding we received a new trailer with Norman Reedus every single thing about this has got me questioning it and it has got me hooked
0: they've released a number of trailers now and the fact that no one still has any idea of what it's about is a testament it is brilliant i love that they can release so much stuff about it and yet still no one has any idea of what's going on
1: this is similar to the experience where i came out of mother and my girlfriend asked me what was it about and i could not tell you for the life of me and it's the same with death stranding i've got no idea what's going on here it's just everything single thing i've seen for it has been impressive there's kind of tones that they're setting like one minute it looks like an action game the next it's a horror it looks terrifying in segments, it looks beautiful in others. I don't know where they're gonna take it or what looks they're gonna do with this. Very
0: odd. With like babies and Yeah, it's an odd one. There. Like it, well, it's, it's real Kojima. It's
1: it? going full Kojima with this yeah. one, like. I don't even know what they're gonna do with this one. But
0: I'm looking forward to
1: it. Yeah, it really says something when this is my most anticipated game over The Last of Us Part Two, which you know me. <laughs>
0: I feel like because Sony have very much won this generation sales oh, yeah, wise 100%, I feel right. like they've got all this money that they're now going to experiment with their exclusives like their exclusive games mm. because some of the games that have come out have been good some of them haven't been good like the order 1886 looked <laughs> amazing oh, yeah. there wasn't a lot of gameplay to it and I feel like Sony is riding a lot on this game in the sense of we have this amazing thing. This is our new franchise. Yeah. We 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 don't have much of Uncharted anymore, at least for a while. Yeah. So we're now... It'll be back. We've got, yeah, it'll be back. But we've now got a lot riding on this. I'm not sure how long the game's actually going to be or what the gameplay's going to be like.
1: I hope it's but, short, personally. Yeah. I hope it's a bit of a cinematic experience. You get bits of readers, you get bits of Mickelson, and you just see what happens.
0: I hope it's it shows The Order 1886 how to be a short game. Yeah. So with that, you were left wanting a lot more. Whereas with this, I feel like you'd be happy and satisfied with the conclusion you get. And yeah. if you wanted more, then you'd be more than happy to just replay it because exactly. of it being an experience.
1: For me as well, does the guarantee of this being good is because it's Kojima's F to Konami. Yeah. It's kind of like very much not only you could have had this, you could have had me, look what I'm going to make. But it's also kind of like, this is, oh God, I am now running my own studio. This is my first big outing as like on my own without a big powerful company like Konami to support me. I need this to be a good one. Otherwise mm. there's a chance that I'm not back in the business again for a while. Like he would be eventually, but just not with the same level of trust. But And especially when you've got the likes of the memory of pt riding on this as well how excellent that was going to be this is kind of the spiritual successor it's birthed out of that same creative team you know it's got a lot riding on it so kojima is going to be doing every single thing he can to make it probably the best game that's been made on this generation yet we will now move on to i think what's quite frankly the most unexpected thing i saw this week it was the trailer for sicario 2 soldado
0: yeah Soldado. Um, Something Mexican. I wasn't expecting this because the first one was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Yep. And then I never thought that it would be the sort of thing to have a sequel like this. And while I'm excited because I love Benicio del Toro, I never... It's the sort of thing that I never knew I wanted it until they showed us what it's going to be like and now I cannot wait for it.
1: I'm extremely excited for this movie. I think the cast wouldn't return unless if they knew it was for a good reason and i think the studio would go there but for me my sole problem with it is the fact that it's called sicario 2 for me it just reeks of kind of a bit of a cash grab when trying to pull off the success of the original sicario so we're trying to make you think it's that if they just had enough confidence in it and they wanted to prove that it's its own thing why not just call it Soldado and just make like emphasis like it be the return of the characters from Sicario? Or even if it it's, just reeks money. Or
0: even if it's Sicario colon Soldado or something like that. Yeah. Because with the number there, it sounds like a kid's film.
1: Yeah. It, whereas it's this is gritty
0: film. and it's mature mm. and it's brilliant. And I feel like the name mm. with the word two in it, yes, they want to get the audience from that back in but yeah. I feel like there are other ways of doing it, or even if it's called Soldado, like what they did with Rogue One, like Soldado, A Sicario story, yeah. story something and like it's that. It's the same
1: as well. Like I think of Sicario and I instantly think of Emily Blunt. That's very much her story. Yeah. If they just called it Soldado, it would emphasise to me very much this is Benicio's story or this is Josh Brolin's story. This is their epic. This is their chunk of the story. Not Because now I'm just instantly going into this and I'm just thinking, right, where's Emily Blunt? Yeah. I don't want her there because her story is wrapped up nicely but you do just think like and a lot of the movie girls will think right well where's she? Mm. what's happened to her? not to put this movie down though it does look amazing oh yeah we're really excited for it if it's even a fraction as good as the original Sicario then we're in for a real treat
0: yeah and I'm not sure how it's going to fare without Denise Villeneuve as director because mm. in the trailer it does look like it's well directed but what this director's done in the past doesn't nothing, give you the most confidence. There's nothing
1: bad, there's just nothing sensational there either.
0: Yeah. But I, I am looking forward to this. Yeah,
1: there is, there is still hope. Hope. But there isn't the most hope for Ocean's 8.
0: <laughs> I, while well, I have no problem with these female-led reboots because they have an amazing cast that they put together. Yeah, it is. Yeah, really good. I saw a point in a review for The Last Jedi where it said, it's refreshing to have a character like Rose because it's not a reimagining of a male character. It's completely different a new strong female character that's just allowed to be strong by herself. And I feel like if they had this heist movie and it had this amazing cast and it just dropped oceans and it was just a heist film then in the reviews people would be like, the new oceans. Yeah. They'd be like, it's a, like I, I've, I do have confidence for the film. They'd be like, this is the new oceans, yeah. but with female cast, but then sort of let it stand on its own feet. Because that's what they're trying to do with having the female cast. And it's sort of like, well, why don't you just let it stand on by itself rather than trying to use the previous films to sell this one?
1: I don't personally think we're going to get anything... Brilliant out of this. It, no. looks, it looks competent, cast yeah. is great, really excited for that. The only real hiccup I've got is Rihanna, because some of their previous work, Battleship, Valerian, they haven't been great.
0: I feel like as long as in this film there isn't a 30 minute detour into her having a strip scene, then yeah. I think we'll be fine.
1: Someone clearly stripped down, though, to remove himself from a body bag is Joel Kinnaman. And the new trailer for Altered Carbon, Jake is shaking his head, we, we need exactly a, what I wanted.
0: <laughs> we need to have a word about the <laughs> exactly, right
1: Altered Carbon is the new Netflix show coming in February 2018. I cannot
0: wait. This yeah. looks brilliant. It looks like Blade Runner, but for television. It feels like Netflix has given it the budget it needs, because it looks stunning, it has innovation... And it feels like it actually has an interesting mystery and in an interesting plot that they've actually managed to put into it. So it's not only the visuals, but it also has an interesting story to back it up.
1: I think as well, you've got good, good names for it. Like, I know lots of people don't like Joel Kinneman. Suicide Squad wasn't a popular movie, but he is great. He's a really good actor. If you watch House of Cards season four and season five in parts, you will see how great an actor he really is. I think in this kind of narrative under good direction, good script... He's going to have a real chance to shine he's going to show exactly what he can do i think this world looks beautiful i think when you look at this you can clearly see they've put a budget into it this is probably the reason why they're in such debt at the moment Yeah. but i'm very excited for it besides westworld it's probably the most anticipated show i have at the moment for 2018
0: yeah i cannot wait for this it looks brilliant Another thing that looks brilliant, not only visually, well especially visually but in the whole thing as a whole is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And the trailer for that has dropped and it looks stunning. The cinematography in this is something that we rarely see as beautiful in an animated film. Some of the shots in this are wallpaper-worthy. You could just pause screenshot and It's beautiful. Phil Lord and Chris Miller have taken their time and I think it shows.
1: Jake could not stop going on about this and how (laughs) happy he is that this is happening. And it's it's very easy to see why this is a really unexpected addition to anything Spider-Man related. And that makes me really happy because this isn't part of anything that's pre-standing. It's not MCU. It's just going to be a... small little story and that means it doesn't matter if it's not great because the studio won't have put too many like too much pressure on it which means it'll have had its time to be properly thought out and done and it won't have any expectations around it so when it does come out it will blow our socks off with how good it is and that's how superhero movies should be
0: and that is an unexpected turn from sony because it hasn't had this build up like, oh, for Lord and Chris Miller are starting a new Spider-Man project, they're doing this Mm. and releasing it and information to sort of build hype around it.
1: They've kept it very under wraps. They've
0: kept it under wraps and they've waited until it's ready and while I feel like the trailer has dropped very early with us having to wait a whole year, I am incredibly excited for this because it feels like a story that we haven't seen in film at all. Like, We've seen it in comic books, and I feel like if it, it doesn't have to be a faithful adaptation of the comic books. It can just be its own standalone thing, and take artistic licenses and tell a story. And I hope that Peter Parker isn't in this a lot. It's
1: it's called Spider Verse for a reason. I think Mm. he's gonna have a clear presence, but you don't cast. We don't put say cast. You don't put Miles Morales in it for no reason. It's gonna be his story. It's all going to be about him. He's going to be the main star. Peter will just be—he'll be there in select moments. It will be very much Morales' story.
0: I think it would be a beautiful, almost giving him a chance to actually send off the character if Toby Maguire voiced Peter
1: Parker. Oh yes, that would be an actual treat like because it would allow there.
0: him to actually say Give us goodbye the to the 4 character. We never got. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. If it linked into the original trilogy, which I doubt it yeah, completely, I'd be surprised if it did. But if, even if it's just a nice send off for Tobey <laughs> Maguire, if he either went off into the sunset or he sacrificed himself, or even if he just left and he was like, "See mm. around, kid," something He'll like that, you'll do good. Yeah, I feel like it would just be a beautiful little moment, and it'll actually allow fans of the original trilogy to mm.
1: rejoice. Phil Lord, Chris Miller, Hollywood in general. <laughs> I implore you, get this man on the phone. (laughs) Sit him down. Get him a cup of tea. He's got ideas, this boy. He's going to go places. Some people even call him the Henry Cavill. He's going places. Just give him some time. (laughs) Because that is a beautiful idea. And it's made me a lot more excited for the potential of Sony's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Get Jake in Hollywood now. (laughs)
0: So that's been our news segment for this week.
1: Right, so we're going to move on to our primary review for the week. It was a release that came out today, in fact. Netflix original movie. It was called Bright. This is a movie that I've been anticipating for some time. I'm a massive Max Landis fan. I really love Chronicle, and I really love his directorial debut, Me, Him, Her. I'm even a fan of Dirk Gently. Amazing television show. Not enough people give it the credit it deserves. Bright was a risky and daring movie, in my opinion. I didn't expect it to to receive what I got it's a Will Smith and Joel Edgerton buddy cop movie set in a fantasy world where magic has disappeared and yet human beings and orcs and elves and dragons have to live alongside one another in LA dealing with the kind of aggro and life that people live out there with I
0: found myself really enjoying this film and Max Landis actually tweeted while he was writing it saying my new script Bright I feel is going to be like my Star Wars and I feel like that's got to hurt when it's getting some really bad reviews saying, like some people are saying that this is the worst film of the year. I think that's really harsh and unfair on it because it is ambitious. It is trying something new. And that's something that we're not getting a lot of in films. And I feel like Netflix is the perfect platform for this uh, to tell this type of story.
1: It was a really, really ambitious movie. Props have to be given to make up in this film. Joel Edgerton looked amazing as his or character and even Unrecognisable. Like, yeah, even like Numi Rapace with her elf character, the makeup was so well done, I hope it gets some real attention from this, potentially from the Academy, because, I mean, if Suicide Squad can win an Oscar for makeup, this film is certainly deserving of it. I thought the plot was, at times, a little bit bogged down in exposition. It, this is a big world that Max Landis has created. He wrote about four thousand pages in just pure backstory for this world, like the many like races and the history of what's gone on there. So you can expect this to be like a film where it does have to tell you a lot of information. But any like boredom that you may feel in these scenes, it's really quickly alleviated by the humour of Will Smith and the interesting dynamic that you have with Joel Edgerton because he is the first like of his race to be accepted onto the LAPD police force, and he's persecuted by, by his own people because of that. People don't want to be around him, and I think it's a really interesting commentary on how you can make a story about someone who's desperate to get a job that they've always wanted and be completely persecuted by their own people for it. sort of reminded
0: me of Zootopia a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, <in> that sense. <laughs> that's brilliant.
0: It is getting such negative reviews and such negative buzz around it, because maybe the film itself didn't realise it and it tried to be like a blockbuster on small screen. But I see it as, instead of a big blockbuster with lacking in narrative, lacking in some certain areas, but with good action, I see it as a brilliant B-movie with an, an immensely intriguing and interesting world that you just want to spend more time in than the film actually allows you to with again brilliant action and i feel like it's a brilliant b movie rather than a spectacular a movie or people are saying that it's a bad a movie but i think that it's a brilliant b movie because if you watch it for the action you watch it for the jokes because there are a lot of them some of them land some of them don't but i still feel that this film's getting harshly treated because i enjoyed it while i watched it i thought that it was still an interesting and definitely worth a watch
1: the story is all about though a sudden return of potential magic to this world magic is a thing that's died out it's not really something that people have anymore and when a supposed wand is found numira base and her elf kind a secret order attempt to claim this magic so that they can reassert dominance through elf lore. Will Smith and Joel Edgerton they play the cop duo and attempt to have to bring down Numeir Pace's character. I think that this film won't be remembered for its plot. It's the sort of thing that would have been best served if it was featured in like a television series made by Netflix but it does what it can in the time that it's got. The real thing that makes this Netflix original movie so memorable is its characters, its writing, and its stunt work. The fights in this are amazing. Numero Pace does a really good job, like playing that elf character. Will Smith is absolutely hilarious in this movie. Some of his like scenes like where he's beating the fairy to death was hilarious. And Joel Eshton was actually great in this movie as well. He plays a really sympathetic character who mattered when it counted. His dynamic with Will was brilliant, and it was something that I wanted to see in further movies. Similarly, Will is good old will as he is like he's approaching 50 now and you just can't tell he's still that slick badass character he's really paying attention and everyone is clearly having a lot of fun with the movie they're making you can tell that everyone's invested everyone's enjoying what they're doing and i have to give real props to david goya because david ayer i mean i do apologize he was able to craft a beautiful world on the camera while we didn't see a lot of it it felt lived in The exposition that was given throughout the film was used well to explain what was going on. But everything about this film, it just made it a vibrant world that I was desperate to explore more of. Everywhere felt lived in. Every character that they passed felt important. And every person that they walked by also felt like they had a story. This isn't the best ever Netflix original movie that you will see. There are better ones out there. I mean, Mudbound was my hit of this year. My favourite Netflix original movie to date. But this is a film that is worth your time,
0: and it's David Ayer. Much like Suicide Squad, it has amazing visuals, as well as some interesting concepts. And I'm not sure if this is going to be a trend with David Ayer. If he's very much a visual director um, rather than focusing on pacing and plot or that and that sort of thing in his scripts, but like every moment this wand was on screen, it looked it, it was the centre of attention, and normally in these sorts of films the wand, the object here the MacGuffin, the, the wand is the MacGuffin of this story and I feel like this is actually one that the audience cares about, this is actually one that the audience cares about because when it is on screen it demands your attention uh, the the whole frame starts shaking and it has this visual style and this visual motif that just has your eyes transfixed on it and while the characters do make silly decisions in this film and not everything about it's perfect, I'd say it's still an enjoyable watch. And with a budget of only 90 million, it looks visually stunning. You would, If this was released on the cinema screen, you would have not have noticed the budget difference to most blockbusters. And while 90 million is a lot for what's essentially a made-for-TV film, um, because I think Mudbound only had a budget of Um, Mudbound only had a budget of 10 million which is a a ninth of that and while Mudbound is a much better film in many ways it definitely doesn't show its relatively smaller budget to most blockbusters. If this was released on the cinema screen then there wouldn't be any complaints and there wouldn't be any and it wouldn't be obvious especially with the cast because this is a Will Smith film and Joel Edgerton gives an amazing performance he was easily the best character in this he had the best lines to say and I while I found Will Smith and Joel Edgerton's dynamic interesting it didn't have that final like it was very rigid throughout the film and it never had that final moment where they are friends and they actually felt like they had that friendship and camaraderie that you get in like all these films like hot fuzz in the body cop films where at first they dislike each other and then you actually feel their friendship towards the end. And while Will Smith even says that they're not friends, I, I still would have liked to have seen them. I don't know, maybe even in a credit scene of him going round to Will Smith's house to pick him up, which will compare to the start of the film. Um, and then just their new dynamic now, I just, like, even if it they did do it purely for comic relief, I feel like that would have been a very welcome addition to the film. And I am going to get into spoilers with how I thought the ending was going to go and how I would have really, like, how I would have much preferred that ending, because while I did enjoy this ending, and it was an intelligent turn and slightly predictable in the way that Jacoby was going to become bloodied and everything like that I still feel like, still feel like the ending that I th- hoped was going to happen would have been more interesting in a way not to say that this was a boring ending I still felt like it had all the visual, I, I still feel like it had all the visuals there to keep you entertained and in the climax it was very tense and spoilers for two amazing films before I go into this, Children of Men and Logan. Jacoby's about to leave with Tika and then Layla comes in and is about to either kill them or drag them back and stop them from getting there. So then Will Smith has to lunge for the magic wand and they will turn to him and they're like, no, don't do it, you're going to kill us all. And then he, instead of the predictable way of him being bright, he grabs it and then it's almost like a children of men or then it has a Logan and Children of Men send off and ending where he sacrifices himself with the knowledge of they're going to a better place and they're going to fix it all. And then in him doing that, they just manage to escape the room as he explodes, killing the antagonists. And then they can then have that, like we just see them in the last shot of Jacobi through the doorway Jacobi putting Tika into the pool, and then it's sort of a nice heartfelt send-off for Will Smith, and it adds some more weight and gravity to the film because when they first shot Jacobi no, it didn't feel real. It it definitely felt like well they're going to bring him back because she's going to grab the wand, um, whereas here I feel like it would, I don't th- I don't think it would change people's opinion of the film. I just feel like it would make it more interesting and that might just be me liking darker endings Um, but I feel like Will Smith sacrificing himself would have added not a gravitas but would have added something to the ending and added something to the film like a heartfelt moment Um, uh, as well as being visually stunning because whenever any person that wasn't a bright touched it it looked brilliant like special effects in this are great i I agree this world does feel lived in and there's this establishing shot of the city and there's this dragon flying in the background it's a tiny detail like that that really helps sell you that this world is alive and this is definitely a film where the world feels very real and like these characters and the whole world that it creates is going to move on after the credits roll, I'm going to keep going because like Zach said, Max Landis wrote pages and pages of backstory for each species in this world. And it feels like this is just a small snippet of what's happening in it. Like Marvel's motif of there's always more to see. In this one, I feel like this is a very short snippet of a small tale, a very very short snippet of a short story in this world and it will be there before the camera started and it will be there after because of how real it feels and because of how interesting it is although it is sort of a shame that Netflix has been doing so well with smaller character-driven stories and smaller films with smaller character stories and smaller films and the one that they give the big budget to isn't on isn't on that level and while I enjoyed films like Wheelman and Mudbound I feel like they didn't need more of a budget but say there was a script that they want that, that Netflix wanted to adapt I feel like there would be something like that that not more deserving but there would be another story that they could give their money to now, I find it a shame that the one that Netflix puts a lot of money into people aren't clamoring all over like they have been with their other pictures. And it is sort of a shame that the one they do put their money into isn't as critically acclaimed.
1: Not Oscar quality, not the best caliber, it's a real 7 out of 10. But what you're getting from it is thoroughly enjoyable. It's a real fun popcorn movie. If you stick this in, you're going to have a fun time with the boys while watching this and going to be able to be amazed by the visuals because this is a pretty as hell movie. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 as it goes. Room for improvement, and it would have been better if it was a TV show and had some more time to flex its wings and be what it really wanted to be, which was a great narrative set in an epic fantasy world. Definitely worth a watch, and definitely worth your time. Max Landis, I implore you to make more stories like this, and to please give Netflix some more original content. This is the kind of stuff it needs, and the kind of stuff it should be spending its money on. Please, do yourself a favour see bright. So we're now gonna talk about our
0: we're now gonna talk about our top five favourite Christmas films, and we're gonna do this in the same way that we did the horror films in Spooky Popcorn. In this list we are including made for T V films and feature length episodes of series that are Christmas specials.
1: I'm gonna begin. Uh, my number five pick. I'll admit it's not one of the best films ever made. It's a real schlocky popcorn fest movie but i enjoy it for what it is for what it tries to be it's a horror christmas film called krampus ah. it's a new england folktale. it's all about how um santa is really a monster and how they summon him on christmas eve and there's a family snowed in the house he starts then like manipulating the toys and turning them into monsters and demons of hell It's really funny just to see these people get the shits get out of them at Christmas. And to see these, like, little beloved things like gingerbread men and horses turn into. (laughs) Like, terrifying parademons of hell. (laughs) It's got elements of Christmas in there. Like, it's like, I just wanted to have a nice Christmas. It's really funny at points. And the people, they kind of, they know it's not great, but they're giving it their all anyway. (laughs) And I think that's commendable at the very least.
0: Yeah, I, I can agree with that. That's a, that's a good, fun film to watch. Yeah. Uh, my number five pick, I was going to say Elf, mm. but in my head I've negotiated it down to say my number five pick is Gremlins.
1: Hey. Oh.
0: If, if I, I just thought if we're doing a horror entry for Christmas, it's perfect because it it's about family's coming together it's yeah. set in Winter Wonderland and it's an interesting take and it's just an interesting film that's fun to watch while also there are some genuinely scary moments and the practical effects that they have in it are brilliant and it's just a classic mm. it, it is just a classic and I'm not sure how much more you can say about it because it's brilliantly directed it has great action and it's just a fun concept and it's a brilliant Christmas tradition to rewatch every year
1: yeah, it's one of my all-time favourite greats. One of the best produced Spielberg movies. He didn't direct mm, it. Yeah. Really funny. Really great. The only problem with it you can even have is the really weird scene where Phoebe Cates goes like that weird monologue in the middle. than that. We don't talk about that bit. Perfect Christmas movie, in my mind. My number four. A little bit more of an unconventional pick. It was the sequel to a much-loved superhero film. It is... Batman Returns. This is one of my absolute favorite superhero films. My personal opinion: this is better than Batman nineteen eighty nine. What he did here with Michelle Pfeiffer and Danny DeVito. If, like, how should I put it, genre films got the kind of recognition from the Academy that it did back then. I could honestly see Michelle Pfeiffer receiving an actress mm-hmm. for the, I mean, a Best Actress award for this. She was a sensation. That scene where she turns it into Catwoman, she smashes up the apartment, like. Life's a bitch, now so am I. That was an amazing moment. Michael Keaton gives the great final performance as Batman in this. Um, oh, what's the guy? Um, he was in Nine Lives and played Match Rack. I can't remember his name. He was in Pulp Fiction, he says... Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken, oh my god! You fool! Why did that take me so long? Why did that take me so long? Christopher Walken is in this movie as well. He's a really great secondary villain. Danny DeVito is amazing in this. He encapsulates the Penguin amazingly. It's also great as well, because Burton goes out there, he includes a lot more of the fetishy, darker side. That's ultimately what ruined the franchise and got it handed over to Schumacher, but it's a great final attempt, and it does make you... Cling for the final days of a potential third Batman movie. But it's just, for me, it's always been a great Christmas movie. It literally starts at Christmas, the turning on the Christmas trees. And I just love that final scene where he's just picked up the cat. He's in the car with Alfred and he just says, well, come what may, Merry Christmas, Mr. Wayne. And they just drive off. It's a really nice thing. And you can even hear beautiful, beautiful, beautiful little score by Danny Elfman. It's got the little chiming of the Christmas notes and then just slowly it turns into the Batman score and it's sensational so that's my number four pick
0: my number four pick is also a superhero film again the sequel it is Iron Man 3
1: hey. <laughs>
0: no no, it is not Iron Man 3 my Shame. <laughs> I was thinking you were going to go that my number four pick is It's a Wonderful Life brilliant it is that's a classic again an utter classic it's brilliantly made it still holds up the test of time and it's another film that you want to re-watch every year because it's a heartwarming tale about a man learning to love life and his family. And it's one of those films where sometimes if a film's in black and white, you're like, hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it can put you off it. But in this one, it doesn't matter. It's just an all-time classic and absolutely brilliant.
1: There isn't a Christmas film alive that hasn't borrowed from it. Mm-hmm. My number three pick is a very personal choice. This is one of the big Christmas films and I absolutely love it because it has one of my favourite actors from one of my favourite films of all time. It is Miracle on 34th Street. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love Richard Attenborough in this movie as Santa Claus, as Chris Kringle himself. I think lots of actors in Christmas movies have portrayed <laughs> Santa. I don't think anyone has ever portrayed him better than Richard Attenborough. He brings the warmth, he brings the charm, he brings the grandfather-like quality to it. He brings the freaking look the guy looks like father christmas you don't question it this is a really like clever plot it like really revolves around the fact that it is christmas we want to get him out of prison in time for christmas it's a film about ensuring people's hope and joy and belief in this mythical figure that everyone loves and you get really great smaller performances as well like dylan mcdermott he's so goddamn charming in this movie i would marry him by the end of this movie he's so charming he's so nice and he looks so great Everything about this movie was well done and it can just fill you with a little bit of joy and just happiness. You just feel great the whole time watching it. Real fun Christmas romp.
0: My number three pick is controversial in if it is a Christmas film or not, but I will... You're not getting any complaints exact, from me. I think it's, it's a great thing. I'll say to many, many times that Die Hard is one of the greatest Christmas films ever made. When people claim that it's not a Christmas film, I look at them and think they're a fool. Because there are aspects of this that can only work with it being set at Christmas.
1: Yeah, fine, fine.
0: <laughs> it's also such an enjoyable film and the way that it's a, it's it's about a family coming together, and that's what Christmas is all about. Family and friends coming together. They're brilliant.
1: Can I it, can I can I make my argument or no, <laughs> it's not really I'm just gonna say it's just the fact that it's Christmas. really adds to the effect of the movie. It's not integral to the plot. It doesn't exactly mark itself as a Christmas film. The actual tagline for the movie is "He's alone. He's tired. And the only chance anyone's got is him." As you know, he's the only chance anyone's got. Not really very Christmassy. Um, it was released in July. Very Christmassy time of year to release a Christmas film also it gives kind of like a message like Christmas Carol, it's like love your neighbour Miracle on 34th Street, you have to believe in things no matter the odds Die Hard's just like it, you can shoot your way out of anything and then similarly we had a recent survey in 2017 um, I think nearly 5,457 people asked, is Die Hard a Christmas film and 52% of them said no only 30% said yes 18% chose not to vote but they're just idiots that's all that needs to be said on the matter it's all that needs to be said it's a lovely film it's just not my favourite Christmas film
0: the way you say that Christmas isn't integral to the plot it doesn't have to be integral to the plot if you think on Gremlins it isn't integral to the plot that it's Christmas you could make the argument he buys
1: that him the present because it's Christmas time without him it could being be Christmas, his birthday
0: it could have been his birthday and I feel that Die Hard is a brilliant Christmas film because it's different. It's an action film. You don't tend to get action Christmas films. And he writes Ho 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 in blood.
1: You've got a point, there. I'll give you that. It does ha- I, you, I do hate you in the fact that you make me give shit to Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just... We've been having this debate for many weeks now. Can we just call this the end? Let's just agree to disagree. It's an amazing film. It's a worthy number two.
0: It's an amazing film and that's why it's my number three favourite Christmas film.
1: Excellent. We put the Madison to bed.
0: <laughs> Until next year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my number two, it's already been mentioned by Jake, it is Gremlins. I cannot remember a Christmas where I have not watched this film. The first time I saw this I was about ten. Watched it on Christmas Day. It was a real joy to watch. I love everything about it. The comedy is hilarious. The moments of horror are very well done. The practical effects are brilliant. It really harkens back to when this age was at its best for practical effects. Every character in it is likeable and memorable, especially the old witch who gets sent up the electric staircase and goes flying out the window. So many quotable lines from it. Those three rules are brilliant, and you've got one of the most cute little things on the planet out of Gizmo. It also makes you desperately wish that we had more things like Gremlins instead of Minions because yeah. they're just so much more funny, especially when you look at Gremlins 2. I love everything about it. I think it's a great, great Christmas movie. Like the fact that Brinkley's the present because it is it's Christmas. Like It's what is able to bring him together with the girl in the movie. It's the fact that he restores her love in Christmas. Good things can happen in that time. And it's another story where they have to come together. The family has to come together, the band together to fight these creatures, to survive them. And... At the same time, you do get moments of joy. Yeah, they're a terrifying thing, but they're bloody funny at the same time. Yeah. That, that scene in the cinema where they're watching Snow White is great. <laughs> it's, it's an just, absolute joy of a film. It's just a dumb, fun romp, and you'll love it, especially if it's Christmas, because everyone will be able to find something to enjoy from it. So that's my number two. I
0: adore this film. It's brilliant. My number two is indeed a made-for-TV movie. It's the Christmas special of Black Mirror, White Christmas. It is, I'm going to say, flawless that it makes me feel so strangely festive while also making me hate myself, humanity, technology, and pretty much everything that's ever existed in the world. Because it's, it starts off as your average Christmas story until it takes a turn and becomes one of the darkest things you've ever seen. And it's that Black Mirror twist, it's that, it's that Black Mirror charm that I absolutely love about this. I think it's got a runtime of just over 70 minutes, so it's nearly feature length. Mm. And it's oh, one wow. of my favorite episodes of Black Mirror. And ever since it first aired, it has been a tradition to watch it every year with my dad and sister. My mum cannot stand this episode because of how dark it gets. Yeah but I just strangely enjoy it so much. It, mm. it has Easter eggs of other Black Mirror episodes, like I Am Pedro as usernames on computer screens, and it has some of the best performances it's ever got from one of the Andes from Hot Fuzz, John Hamm, and the sister of Tom Hardy from Taboo. Una Chaplin. Also in Game of Thrones. And it is one of my favourite Christmas tales and christmas themed things and it just works so beautifully and even the way that they change the title in this episode of the casual no, of the from the regular spinning circle and then what they do with it just perfectly fits it and this is one of my per like my favorite episodes of the show it is absolutely brilliant if you haven't seen it yet go watch black mirror white christmas charlie brooker you're a genius
1: this is my most anticipated thing about this Christmas. It will be able to finally watch White Christmas. Black Mirror was a venture of this year. Started it at the beginning of the year. It's so devastating that Jake begged me to watch it around Christmas time. And then even more devastating it. that I made the agreement to watch it with my girlfriend on Christmas Day. Christmas Eve, sorry. So I've had to wait even longer. I cannot wait for this. The fact that people claim that it's even remotely better than the likes of Sanjay de or Shut Up and Dance is a mm-hmm. real high feat, so I think it's got some... Big shoes to fill, but I know it will do it. The cast is, I mean, a marvel. You don't get John Hamm for no reason. Yeah. You don't get chat then She's brilliant and very underrated. She's amazing in this. I bet. I'm. I've seen certain images. From it. I'm getting a bit of an x and a vibe from it. I'm getting all sorts of things.
0: Yeah, I can see. How I'm interested
1: that. to see where the technology will go this because I know there is a certain thing. I believe it's called blanking. I'm not going to ask because I just want to go into I'm it as clean as anything. I can. But this is what I'm really looking forward to, and I can guarantee. I will be yelling about Jake, uh, yelling about it relentlessly to Jake on Christmas Eve. I think I will probably call him and speak to him for a good... I don't care what he's doing. I don't, I don't care if he's enjoying his Christmas Eve. I'll call him for about 90 minutes and just chat about that.
0: If you want a Christmas horror film that you haven't seen yet, and you want an intelligent one that will make you think, that will make you cry, that will make you shout at the screen, do yourself the favour, if you haven't already, Black Mirror, White Christmas... Uh, Before we go to our number one picks, we're going to do some honourable mentions and say some Christmas stuff that we absolutely love and adore uh, that didn't quite make the list for a number of reasons. And my first honourable mention is, well, it could be any of them, apart from Return of Doctor Mysterio, any of the Doctor Who Christmas specials. Because it's one of the main things that I look forward to every Christmas. It's always after you've had your big lunch, it's then... all. Doctor Who's on then, so we're going to play a few board games till then, and it's become a staple. And the only reason why I didn't include one of them on the list is because of the way that it tells the classic, a classic Christmas story, but with a science fiction twist. Yeah. And I already had that classic story on this list, so that's the only reason why I didn't include it. But the Doctor Who Christmas specials are always a delight to watch. Absolutely brilliant, love them. Mm.
1: I personally agree with you there. They've not gonna lie, lowered in quality at certain points, but they've yeah. always been brilliant. They've always been something to look forward to, and there's always been a level of charm from at least everyone. Even Return of Doctor Mysterio, you've got the fun Nardole moments. Yeah, Christmas Carol is my absolute favourite. I think it really, really well adapts that move that classic tale, and it's done really well. My first honourable mention is really underrated little British Christmas film. You'll know it as soon as I say it. Make sure you've done a wee and a poo. It's the nativity. It's a really just... It's an, unconven- oh, it's an unconventional Christmas movie. There's nothing about like Santa Claus or anything in this. It's just a really like. very relatable British story about trying to get a nativity play to work and then bragging to an old friend that you've got a really hot girlfriend. <laughs> it's really funny. Mr. Poppy's character is brilliant in this. The sequels weren't brilliant. But the first one, real joy. Martin Freeman is hilarious in this movie. It just hasn't... trying to see him deal with Mr. Popper's buffoonery is hilarious. And all of the child actors are actually really good, which is a rare thing in movies like this.
0: There are parts in this where I thought Martin Freeman would go up to Mr. Popper's and say, I cannot sanction your buffoonery.
1: <laughs> yeah, there are genuine moments where he looks ready to strangle him.
0: It's just a charming British film. Yeah. like And it's cool. I, I remember watching it when it first came out with my family and we were laughing at just some of the kids in it some of
1: the scene where he just descends from the tower and the mother <laughs> is just like <laughs> screaming it's just it's absolutely hilarious it's
0: absolutely brilliant I love it another honourable mention I've already spoken about it briefly but it's John Favreau's Elf mm-hmm. it's funny it's heartwarming it's everything a Christmas film should be it nearly got my number five spot, it's just because it wasn't quite there in comparison to Gremlins. Yeah. But it is just an enjoyable film and it has Will Farrell giving an amazingly stupid performance. Yeah.
1: Very Jim Carrey esque.
0: Yeah. That I just find incredibly enjoyable. And on the note of Zach saying Jim Carrey, it's reminded me. It's reminded me that the Grinch is another amazing film. There's absolutely has must-watch around Christmas time. One hundred percent. Jim Carrey is funny always, and the performance he gives in this is hilarious.
1: You can't deny that at all. Both films are real classics. My personal favorite of the two is The Grinch because yeah. just Jim Carrey is just hilarious in it. But Elf does not fall far behind. It's on Channel Four every Christmas. Always make an effort to try and get a hold of it at some point. And sit down and watch it. My second honourable mention is, I can tell, going to cause controversy. Because Christmas does not become a part of this film until, really, nearly the ending. Christmas doesn't become a part of the film until these characters need to bond in the way that they do. Until they form a partnership that would go on to live on in the minds of everyone who enjoyed this movie for decades to come. It is the 2016 underrated epic Shane Black's The Nice Guys, it is an amazing film, everything about it is so well done, Ryan Gosling is one of the most hilarious characters ever put to film, what he does in this movie is brilliant, Russell Crowe is a brilliant supporting actor, Jake is just head on the table, he's really upset, he didn't know I was going to do this but I'm very proud, Everything about it just screams you'll enjoy it. It's a really great crime movie. And it has an appropriate reason for having Christmas at the end. Time has passed. they've It shows that they've remained in each other's lives to a point where literally they're willing to spend that time together, that special time, that Christmas. They're willing to be together like that because they know that they've bonded. They've become that team.
0: I so, cannot fault you in the sense of it's a brilliant film. But I can fault you, however, in calling it a Christmas film. <laughs> I feel that it was more a narrative device to show the passing (laughs) of time, more than anything.
1: Well, let's just agree to disagree on that one, then.
0: Another honorable mention (laughs) is Raymond Briggs' The Snowman.
1: Oh, I absolutely love this movie.
0: It is. It's on Channel 4 every year. I've got the DVD. Likewise. And it's just heartwarming. The animation style is second to none. It's beautiful. And it actually tells an interesting story that I find to be quite interesting. And it breaks my heart every year. It makes me laugh every year. And Snowman and Snowdog from a couple of years ago as well was also a nice fitting tribute and sequel to it.
1: Yeah. That iconic song. It's a staple of yeah Christmas in Britain. It's a very British film. Everyone knows this. Like Everyone grew up with this as a kid. Everyone knows pretty much every scene. And my final honourable mention is another Raymond Briggs Christmas film. It actually features the snowman in it. There's a brief moment where he and the little boy appear in it. It is the Raymond Briggs Father Christmas. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? Yeah, like, it's... Santa's just had enough he just goes to vegas he enjoys himself out there and he's been, crap i've spent all my money goes to scotland doesn't enjoy it there has to come home do the rounds for christmas it's just a nice little story that just really humanizes the character where he's just like a really just bothered old man he's just oh god i gotta do this again but he's just that kind character who does really care especially when like you look in how he is with his cat and his dog he's just and his reindeers hello my dears It's really well voice acted, it's really nicely animated, very much in the heart of The Snowman, and it's worth the watch. Especially if you are a The Snowman fan, because, like I say, the third act, they do appear in it. My number one pick is my all-time favourite Christmas movie, and I personally believe it is the greatest Christmas movie that you can see. I've seen this since I was a child, and... I've watched it every single Christmas since both on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day I make the effort to watch it twice I was named after this movie at one point until my grand convinced my mother not to do it because she was in fear that I would be bullied this is a film that carries on from an iconic television show that manages to incorporate every single character amazingly well into a beautiful narrative has one of the greatest working actors of all time in it it is The Muppets Christmas Carol. Yes.
0: Michael Caine yes. is
1: amazing in this movie. He brings Scrooge to life in such an amazing sense. Every character in this movie is a brilliant Muppets character. Like, Gonzo's Charles Dickens. Rizzo is in it. Rizzo needs to be in more of the Muppets movies. He wasn't in the latest ones. Fozzie's in there. But like, oh, blim Beaker at the end when he gives him the red scarf. And he's just there. He's half with him everyone works in really well to this classic narrative it doesn't demean the old story it enhances it it brings a comedic element to it it makes you very happy to see it and i say this some of the most masterful uses of songs on the planet yes i can remember every song in this movie like it's in the singing of a street corner choir it's going home and getting warm by the fire because wherever you find love it feels like christmas i love this movie more like is it and it just encapsulates everything i love about christmas
0: I cannot agree more because that is also my number one pick. And in fact, I
1: have the VHS. Yes, copy right well done. Here. I actually have one at home.
0: This is a film that we watch every year. It's one of the traditions. We come downstairs, we open the stockings, we we open some cards. Uh, after breakfast, we then put this on. We all sit down and watch it. It's absolutely timeless. It is, for me, what makes Christmas as a film because it just gives me memories from when I was younger and, like Zach said, with the songs and the way that they put all these different characters into this pre-existing narrative. It's almost the way that Doctor Who did it with finding... An alternate take that is fresh because we've seen this story done so many times mm. it's the classic Dickens tale but the way that the Muppets does it is fun yeah. interesting and infinitely rewatchable
1: 100% there's not a scene from this movie that I can't remember whether it's just when he's using Rizzo to wipe down the windows <laughs> when they're moving along on the busts and it's just their faces. <laughs> or just when the ghost of Christmas future comes and they're just too scared. So, so we'll meet you at the ending. <laughs> or just when he says, perhaps they'll enjoy Christmas on the unemployment line. And they just jump into the heat wave. <laughs> this is my island in the sun. It's just so many brilliant satirical moments that pays immense respect to the original movie.
0: And this is a film that Michael Caine gives a brilliant performance. Yeah, he really does. Because he's been criticised a lot throughout his work for playing the same character Mm. and doing similar things. And in this, he's given a lot to work with, and he does it brilliantly. That could just be the nostalgia talking. No, no,
1: I will say it in full. He plays a tortured man in this movie. He plays a loving man in this movie. And it's extremely difficult to appear in these movies. It's extremely difficult to have to play alongside puppets. It's not easy to be able to give emotion to literally something that is, in a sense, lifeless. And he is one of the very actually few real human being cast members in this movie. You don't see him ever have a problem with that, ever question it, or ever struggle. He carries on loving to every puppet. He shows the anger and conviction and love that he would show to an actual human being. And I think that's a masterful technique that he brings to this movie. I adore this film. We could honestly go on about this for hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now we're going to go away and then come back and have a dedicated official sour popcorn top Christmas films list. Yeah. So we've gone away. We've got official top 10 sour popcorn Christmas films. Yeah. And starting at number 10 we have John Favreau's ever-funny Elf. As we said earlier, it's hilarious. It's got some inventive stop-motion, the way that it blends to different animation styles and also the way it subverts expectations. It's just a, a thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable film.
1: At number nine, we have Krampus. This is a real dumb, fun popcorn movie. Something you can just, at the end of the day, after you've had all your food, just stick it on. Enjoy just the schlocky horror the the over the top acting and just the the crazy characters you'll have fun watching it and you don't honestly need too much to really enjoy it
0: and number eight we have it's a wonderful life this is a classic for a reason it's one of the most famous christmas films it's on every channel every year because it is that great
1: and number seven we have batman returns arguably the best of the michael keaton era really really well made movie sensational villains great subplot beautiful performance from michael keaton and relates back to christmas in a really fun way
0: And number six we have raymond briggs the snowman this could be interchanged with any raymond briggs christmas one but we just felt like we should honor him and the work that he has done because his animation style is beautiful his stories are beautiful and especially in The Snowman, what they can say with so little words... Mm. With no words, almost. ...is
1: beautiful. <coughs> At number five, we have the seminal performance of Chris Kringle, of any person ever playing Santa Claus, given by Richard Attenborough in Miracle on 34th Street. Really, really sweet film. Really great message. Believe no matter what, good things will happen. Believe in those who also want you to. And just stand aside and just give love a chance every once in a while.
0: Number four has a slightly different message. Explode as much stuff as you can. It's Die Hard. Coming in explosively at number four. This is just an enjoyable action film. You You don't get many action Christmas films. And... Debate aside, you have to admit that this is a very well-made film. It has smart, intelligent characters. And, especially on your first time viewing it, it leaves you on the edge of your seat. Highly, highly enjoyable Bruce Willis film.
1: Yippee-ki-yay. Motherfucker. Number three, we have Gremlins. Really hilarious and yet at the same time horrifying little Christmas film. Blends together really great themes with brilliant practical effects. Good acting and memorable characters, particularly some very memorable comedic scenes.
0: Number two, we have Black Mirror White Christmas. I think I sung its praises earlier enough, but it deserves all the praise it can get. The way that it messes with themes of Christmas and then puts that horrifying spin on it, it is possibly one of Charlie Brooker's magnum opuses. I while I can see that there are problems with it, I enjoy it all the
1: same. It is brilliant. And number one, you don't even need to guess. It is the Muppet's, Muppets Christmas, Christmas Carol. <laughs> get us on the phone, just ask us about this movie. We'll go on about it for hours.
0: I personally I don't feel much like it's Christmas at the moment, but when we started talking about this film, it put me right back in there, feeling warm and fuzzy inside. I love this film.
1: It's a rare occasion when I can start discussing a film and then instantly want to start watching it. That's how good this movie is and how much it clearly means to us.
0: So that is the Sour Popcorn Podcast's top ten Christmas films.
1: Enjoy all of them this festive season. Highly recommended particularly the nice guys you can cut that out at the end. Cut I will that. I will
0: <laughs> we will also be doing a separate episode it'll be a standalone review um, for the Doctor Who Christmas the Doctor Who 2017 Christmas special Twice Upon a Time we'll be recording that over the phone on Boxing Day and then hopefully having it uploaded on Boxing Day as well so we can give our thoughts out on the Doctor Christmas special this year. We're looking forward to it, and hopefully it'll be a nice farewell to Capaldi and a good introduction to Whittaker.
1: Right, so now we have our quickfire question. We've been discussing a lot in this episode animated Christmas films. Snowman is a clear classic that we both enjoy. So, my question this week is, what is the best animated Christmas film? You may think I'm going to go for The Snowman, but no. I'm going to go... For The Nightmare Before Christmas. This is, uh, this is Tim Burton's masterwork. Every character in this is memorable. It completely subverts your expectation as to what it actually is. There are so many memorable songs from this movie. It relates so well into Christmas in so many ways. It's a parable about how anyone from any culture can learn to love something that isn't theirs and how everyone can become a part of something. And that really you can't have something all to yourself. It is something that everyone loves and that it's important to share things amongst people. The direction and by Henry Selick is amazing. The set design, the character animations, the songs, everything about this just screams Christmas. And it's also multifunctional. And a bit The fact that it's a great film, you can watch a Halloween at the same time. So that's my pick for the best animated Christmas film. I'll leave it to Jake now. My response
0: is going to be Shrek the Halls.
1: A masterful choice if I might say. (laughs) No. The comedy Um... in that movie is sensational. (laughs) The scene where Gingy is about to be eaten by Father Christmas and gets his girlfriend eaten alive is amazing.
0: (laughs) I'm going to say Jim Carrey's motion capture performance in A Christmas Carol. Mm. because again it is an interesting take on a classic Christmas story while having some and boasting some incredible visuals and it actually being very scary intense in parts which normally Mm. especially child's versions of A Christmas Carol try and shy away from because it tries to have them more as oh no, there is this scary bit, but don't worry about that. But in this, he is shrunken down. He's running away from this horse. And then there's the big moment where like the ghost of Christmas future is terrifying. Yeah. And I remember seeing this in the cinema. I think it came out in 2009. I remember seeing this in the cinema with my dad and my sister. And during that bit, we were all petrified. Yeah. But then it just made the ending all the more satisfying when it did no, when it was this heartwarming family tale. And Christmas Carol, the amount of times I've seen it before with the Muppets, I did like this darker take. And the way that Jim Carrey does it, I found to be incredibly interesting. And I really enjoyed it with photorealistic animation.
1: Mm-hmm. An interesting actual piece of trivia, when I originally went to go and see this Jim Carrey and Christmas Carol, we got there and it was completely full. So they said, um, we should like to go and see Nativity instead. <laughs> and we went and saw that. It was actually really good as well. But in regards to your selection, I personally, while Christmas Carol has got a lot to offer, mm. you can't deny it is another retelling upon another retelling. I personally believe that while this is one of the best... It doesn't do much to strike itself apart from the others to make itself unique. Muppet's Christmas Carol does that with everything it presents. Jim Carrey in this movie, he does nothing very distinct from many of his other performances to really symbolise himself as Scrooge. Simon as well, he takes up a lot of the screen time. Like, brilliant thing about Muppet's Christmas Carol is the fact that they can bring in other characters and other sources to give you ten, like ideas. He even, It even comes to the point where he's playing the ghost. Like, he literally does play the ghost of Christmas present... And I was just about to make the argument that it's dark when I realise mine has literally got a clown who rips off his own face. I think also, at the same time, you make the photorealistic argument. There are moments in that where it does not look good at all. There are moments in that when it's like, he's walking through the street, it doesn't look good. And when I watch it, I'm harking back to the days of Mars Needs Mums and there are such other Mars classics such as that. It's, Don't it's an animation it. style that I'm not a fan of personally. Whereas I think mine is another worthy addition to the stop motion trend that set up other little classics to be such as the likes of Coraline. Because it's borrowing very much from it.
0: I agree that I much prefer the art style and direction of A Nightmare Before Christmas. But in the darker tone and also you say that Jim Carrey doesn't embody Scrooge.
1: I'm not saying he doesn't embody it, I just don't think he does anything that's very different from his other performances. It doesn't make the character very unique.
0: I think that can be argued against, because I feel that he does sort of... While many Scrooges are the same, as it all has the same character arc and it's all very predictable, the different choices that he decides to make, especially in comparison to his other roles, like his other roles aren't as old, they're all zipping around they don't have that old decrepit Mm. posture and that and that and then the lip lip that he has Mm. and the way he talks about him and it does have those over the top jim Carreyisms, but i still feel like he makes it different enough and he the way that this story is told is still interesting enough to stand out from the
1: other christmas carol retellings you've left me with a hard choice here it's a very well done adaptation there's no denying it I just feel that mine personally will ta- stand the test of time more I feel that mine says more about Christmas in ways like that stands aside the many editions of Christmas Carol that we've already had mine is able to stand on its own as its own thing it's an original idea and it's like something that you don't even expect to be a Christmas film while yours is amazing, it is another rendition of the classic tale. And, I mean, you can say it's borrowing from other adaptions, but mm. that is just an unfair argument in ways. We've got a real stalemate here, I must I admit. I
0: cannot disagree with you because A Nightmare Before Christmas is one of my favourite films. Mm. And what it says about Christmas is even if you are a monster even if you are considered this villain, is it still for you? It's still for everybody. It has an interesting and well thought out message while also being incredibly iconic and it's become a pop culture icon. Yeah, Hot Topic is still going because of this movie. (laughs) The impact that this one film has had on culture, I can't argue with that, but I still feel that Christmas Carol is that traditional story and that is what Christmas is, is that Charles Dickens tale all about Christmas and the impact that your past has and how it's not too late to change that
1: I think we've we've got two clearly very well animated movies here, they were both enjoyed by us and they were both enjoyed by lots of people, so I think it's for that reason we're going to have to go to the coin toss Heads or tails? I think I'm gonna go Tails. Do tell.
0: Are you happy with your choice?
1: I am indeed happy with my choice. Do you want it to be? I'm 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 fair, it's tails. Yeah, go ahead.
0: I'll be really annoyed because what I did is I flipped it and then I turned it around a few times in my hand, and I'll be really annoyed if yeah. I then if it landed on heads. Yeah. And then I then made it. Yep.
1: Yeah. You've jinxed it now, mate. you right. jinxed it.
0: I'm not gonna look. Zach, what is it?
1: Jake. No 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 no. Do not look. Do not look yet. It is the spirit of Christmas. And at Christmas we give gifts. And today. I give to you the gift of realising that you have won. Yes! <laughs> My reign of victory is over, but it's Christmas, so I'm a lot of bothered. But I can't fault you. I... Yeah, that was a think, good round. Yeah. I, I think
0: that A Nightmare Before Christmas is a much superior film, and it definitely will stand the test of time. It's just our quickfire questions, who can make the better argument out of it? Yeah. And I can't fault you on any of the points you made about Nightmare Before Christmas.
1: Thank you. I tried to make a, one that we'd get a good argument out of. I thought you were going to go for something like The Snowman, but you pulled that out of the hat. I haven't seen that movie I thought,
0: in so long. I thought I'd go for something that not a lot of people would consider the best animated Christmas yeah. film because I wanted to challenge myself. But I also <laughs> am annoyed because as soon as I said it, I realised, why didn't I go with Rudolph? You know, the, oh, yeah, yeah, The, the classic. original yeah, classic yeah. one. Is, that is,
1: Yeah, you, you opened up yourself to a movie where I could bring in Mars Needs Mums as an argument against it. That, that never crossed my mind, I'm not <laughs> going to lie to you. <laughs> right, so we will now move on to what's appertaining. For me, not a great deal. I've been currently working on my documentary for my EPQ, How I was the Horror Genre Changed Over a 100-Year Period in Film. That should be very done- that should be done very soon in fact and it'll be uploaded on the channel when it is complete other than that, just been diving back into some classic movies for Christmas, as you say, we have our big marathon, we have Gremlins, we have the Muppets Christmas Carol, other than that though next week I should hopefully be planning to start dark new Netflix original series but heard nothing but great things about it and I'm looking forward to starting it
0: I I received the Godfather complete DVD uh, collection for my birthday a couple of months ago and i've been intending to get into it because i've been told by too many people how i should have seen them all by now because they are classics and now we head into bargain bin
1: i've actually had a good week for bargain bin myself i found some good little finds i managed to pick up a copy of insidious i was very happy with that the film that destroyed torture porn I was able to get a copy of Oculus, really, really underrated horror film. I think it deserves more press than it gets. Was able to get myself a great copy of One Hour Photo, a really, really underrated Robin Williams performance that is actually really good. Highly recommend it. That is me. That's my bargain bin this week.
0: This week, I've been very successful with my (laughs) Blu-rays. I got the entire first series of Homeland on Blu-ray for £1. That was a find that I was very proud of. As um, along with Series Two of Heroes, f- again on Blu-ray for a pound, I also got one of one of the top ten horror like sour popcorn horror films, Monster House on Blu-ray for a pound.
1: Yes, mate.
0: I, I already had it on mm. DVD, but it. I'm slowly trying to build, build up, up my collection of Blu-ray. Um, and I also got Pirates, the David Tennant classic, again with the stop motion animation. Yep. Always a beautiful awesome style. Movie. Yep. I also got the the classic Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure on DVD for twenty five pence. Uh, I thought that was a hell of a find. It is a hilarious classic, um, and I can't wait for the sequel coming out sooner than we initially thought, and that makes me very happy, very happy. And now this leads into my recommendation of the week. I'm going to be recommending two films because my main one isn't for everyone, to say the least. They're, they're, they're both Christmas films, but one of them is a sick and twisted horror film for those of us that aren't... Uh, for those of us that do love the darker and grittier tones and darker and grittier films. It's a Swiss film... Um, Um, that sees Santa Claus as this villain who, as, as this villain. And while this has been done in other horror Christmas films, it hasn't been done like this. And I want to say as little about it as possible, because I feel the less you know about this going in, the more fun, well... Not fun, the more you'll get from watching it. Because this is truly a treat. It's called Rare Exports A Christmas Tale. And if you're into dark horror films, or you're into psychological thrillers, or you're just sick and twisted and love a dark Christmas film, Rare Exports is something that will definitely scratch that itch that not enough people have seen. But the more traditional Christmas film about... The more traditional Santa Claus and Christmas films can be found in my other recommendation, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. It is... It is strange and it is beautifully absurd at the same time. It's very much of its time in... Because it is an old film. I have the DVD here it is an old film and you can tell that it's an old film by looking at it and it, it sort of has that old charm of of these campy costumes and campy special effects that just sort of make it even more lovable That just make it all the more lovable really because it is an interesting watch it it's hard to watch at the start because of how campy it is but you sort of get into it and you sort of get into it and it's in four by three, it's in colour, and it's just a fun, quirky film that you can have on in the background uh, on Christmas Day, that you can have a laugh with that that that's, <laughs> that's quite enjoyable. Um, so they're my two recommendations: where Exports a Christmas Tale for those dark and twisted, or Santa Claus Conquers the Martians for a more upbeat family tone. That more people will, that more people will like. It's like a classic episode of Doctor Who, where you can see the sets moving, but it has that sort of charm to it. So, there are my two Christmas recommendations. Um, we have seen The Last Jedi and Killing and the Killing of a Sacred Deer, but we're going to save those reviews for next week, as we would like to completely dedicate an entire episode to those masterpieces.
1: Exactly. But for now, it is snowy popcorn. We wish you all a really happy Christmas. We will hopefully be back next week, but if not, you can expect us again very soon. Ho, ho, ho.
0: Merry Christmas and a happy new year. (laughs) That's all from us. Now go away. Zach, The Nice Guys is not a Christmas film. No,
1: I just did it because I just wanted to annoy you. (laughs) That's my little revenge for this whole... Die hard experience. A little bit of revenge there. I might I did it just because it'd be funny. I could have listed any Shane Black movie because Christmas is in pretty much all of his. Apart from Predator, it's the only one that hasn't got Christmas in it.
0: I think it'd be very difficult to put Predator into a Christmas environment. <laughs>
1: oh God, I can imagine it was a Christmas.
0: <laughs> you know Arnold's line, stick around. <laughs> if it's just like, slay around.
1: some shit. Like that. I want to hurt you now. I just want to hurt you.
0: Right, so that's our first debut film Predator A Christmas Carol. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had no idea you were recording that, but that's box office <laughs> gold. <laughs>